Oh, one thing I think I should mention, though, um, they never actually taught me to read and write. They said I, that was when I was in the first grade and said I was too stupid. And uh, actually, it was my mother that taught me how to read and write. Because you know? when she said that, she said, oh, he's not stupid. He's headstrong and stubborn, but he's not stupid. Vietnam veteran, singer, writer, and library regular Walter Longmire originally moved to the West End in 1955. That's kind of crazy. That's what the role of a school is, was to teach. Oh. <laughs> yeah, teach, yeah. They didn't teach when I was growing up. We were just, they were just glorified zookeepers for the most part. Hear his story in this episode of the West End Stories Project. I'm Key, manager of the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Libraries West End Branch. Thanks for listening. When did y'all move to the West End? How old were you? I was five years old. That would have been 1955. Okay. Now, why did y'all move? Well, I don't really know. <laughs> well, when y'all moved to the West End, where did you live? Uh, let's see. We lived in what was called uh, Laurel Homes on uh, what was Army Avenue, which later, I think, changed to Derek Turnbull. All right. Gotcha. What was that like for you? Um, I don't know, not, not, not too bad, um, uh, not too good. Hmm. Might um, say not too good. <laughs> not too bad, not too, well, you know, being, I never cared much for being poor, that's all. I'm trying to figure out the right questions to dig into that. What do you mean? Well, I don't know, I think that's good money. Money just kind of gives you a, where you can do a lot of things that you want to do, or, you know. Or foods that you want to eat. Say, I don't want to eat that. Well, you got to eat anyway because that's all we got. <laughs> Do you feel like your, your experience was limited? Like, because a lot of times, you know, when I talk to folks, um, people are like, oh, we were poor, but that's all we knew. It mm. seems like you were aware. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that, but I think it was more of a, Key said you're poor, but I say uh, I certainly uh, would have wanted better. But it's more or less you were supposed to accept being in that particular position, you know. Mm, gotcha. Until the late 1960s, Mr. Longmire lived in a Laurel Holmes housing project with his mother, who migrated to Cincinnati from Memphis, Tennessee, and his younger sister and brother. And you said something about, were you supposed to have a different name? Uh, when we were... In my generation, the oldest son took the name of the father. Uh, that didn't happen in my case because uh, my mother was my father's second wife, and they are, he already had a son by his first wife and named him Cleveland. I can't tell really much of anything about my father because uh, they divorced, I think I was about less than a year old. I was 18 when I first saw him, even hurt, for, for when I first saw him, you know. And I think the, I didn't see him again after that until I was 25. That was the last time I saw him. Mm-hmm. 
and it just never, never built like a good relationship with them. No, no, it, there was basically was no relationship, you know. Uh, as far as what did you want to know about my mother, I mean, that's the only one I was raised with. What was your mom like as a mom? Um, well, uh, pretty actually uh, quite unique. She, uh, like a lot of parents in those days, it's kind of like her word was law, but. She was good in that she pretty much let us be ourselves. She didn't mind if you didn't look like everybody else or sound like everybody else. But she laid down a law, you better be home by 11. So I think that was uh, a pretty good thing, you know. What did she do for a living, or, or did she work? Well, let me see. While we were, most of the time we were growing up, she didn't work. We were on what they call welfare public assistance. And I think uh, she started working with teenagers. I think I, I think I left home. Well, when she started working, my brother and sister they were still at home. She started working then. Like Miss Blackburn from our last episode, he also attended Washburn Elementary School, but his experience was very different. What was it like going to Washburn? Washburn? Oh, well. Uh, well, it was, it was okay. I think the, uh, I think my best year was the last year I was there, you know. Why you say that? I guess I started catching on to things a little bit better than I had before. Oh, one thing I think I should mention though, that, um, they never actually taught me to read and write. They said I, that was when I was in the first grade, so I was too stupid. And, uh, actually it was my mother that taught me how to read and write. You know. Because when she said that, she said, oh, he's not stupid. He's headstrong and stubborn, but he's not stupid. <laughs> but that's kind of crazy. That's what the role of a school is, was to teach. Oh. Uh. <laughs> yeah, teach, yeah. They teach when I was growing up. We were just, they were just glorified zookeepers for the most part. So what was the atmosphere like at Washburn then? At Washburn? Yeah. yeah they did. Now that I think about it, it was just basic. Most of them were just basically zookeepers. There were a few that might have taken an interest in you, but they didn't think too much about it. Basically, I think the attitude of that toward school, if you remember, this is a, a, a black neighborhood, and you have teachers that feel that they, uh, uh, they're not doing too well because they want to be some, some of them, I think a lot of them want to be somewhere else, you know. A bit of a loner, Mr. Longmire mostly kept to himself as a kid. I wasn't into a lot of things, you know, and uh, I just didn't fit in very well. And I didn't have much interest in a lot of the things that uh, kids and whatever were doing. Then what were your interests? Well, let me see. Believe it or not, the most fun time that I had, the toy that I had, believe it or not, was one of these big old uh, car tires. And you would push the car tire this way, push it that way. And everybody had these toy, these, these uh, tires. They were actually car tires, you know. And you roll them around, you roll them down the steps, you roll them next to each other, <laughs> bumping each other, that kind of stuff. And, uh, we had cap guns, and then when they had Zorro, they had these little plastic, uh, swords that you were to play with. <laughs> that didn't do any good because we broke them because we, we played so hard with them. 
But those were the kind of things that we did uh, in in the West End, you know. You, you did those things because basically you had to. And your favorite pastime, of course, believe it or not, was when you would go to the movies. He went to two theaters in the West End, the Regal on Lennon Clark Street and the State, which was located on Central Avenue where TQL Stadium sits today. I remember me and my some my uh, mom would take us there, me and my brother and sister. And and what we would do, she would make hot dogs. And, you know, like like in the wintertime. And we would have hot dogs. Stuff them, me and my brother stuff them in the pocket. And my sister had those in her purse. And then all we did, we break, we break the pop, and then we eat the hot. We pass by the, we pass up there bringing the hot dogs into the into the theater. I don't know how they ever let us in. They had to smell them hot dogs. But you know what? It, it's kind of different than when you if you go to a movie house now, the way it was in the West End. It, it, it they would actually make comments about what was going on on the screen. You know. You know, yeah, hit him. What's he doing up there? Sometimes they were actually more amusing than the, the movie itself. So it commentary. Yeah, yeah, they they had a little commentary. They'd be edging the guy on the say, hit him again. <laughs> 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 there was this uh, woman. She was uh, supposedly getting enticed by this man. And her friend didn't want that to happen. And she talked about, don't do it, don't do it. And somebody out in the audience would say, hey, Lisa's getting hers. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any movie in particular you remember going to see? Or? Mm. Um, let's see what I think about. Well, at that time, they had a lot of Westerns. You know, um, They all kind of run together now that I think about it. Uh, there's... Only not. I'm, I'm, I guess I, I would probably think a little bit more if I can remember. We didn't get poor movies at either the Regal or the State. We got movies that were years old, you know. Uh, or usually, it, it usually would be about a year or two out of date. You, you, the Ten Commandments was, I think, was in '55, '56, and we didn't get it downtown to about maybe about '57, maybe '58. When they, when they showed it down there. So we got movies that, we weren't first release movies, they were movies maybe that had been about maybe a year or two, and some even older than that. When he left Washburn to attend Bloom Junior High School, he met James Starks, a friend who inspired him to try something new. You had to pick up what they call a music elective. So they said pick an instrument. I couldn't think of one. So they picked one for me. I played this thing they called a viola. Couldn't stand that thing. So a friend of mine said, well, why don't you try the choir? I said, well, what, what I can't. about to sing? He said, it doesn't matter. If you can hold a tune, they'll let you in the choir. I said, okay. So uh, they, they let me in the choir. Uh, I wasn't very good at first, but I got better, you know. And uh, that's when I kind of started. That's what you might say. I might had a, an idea of what I wanted to do. Figured I wanted to be a singer. So did you continue singing until, like, high school? Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, it was my, uh, matter of fact, my best friend, actually, he put the finishing touches and taught me how to sing. And uh, they had two, they had a large choir, and then they had one with the better singers, which they called the ensemble. That was about 
uh, about 30 or 40 singers or so. I was in that group. And then I was in my best friend's group. We were singing like the R&B stuff, Motown, The Temptation, things like that. Yeah. What was the group called? Uh, we called ourselves The Chances. <laughs> Chances? That's what we called ourselves. We called ourselves The Chances. Yeah. We did, uh, we did a couple of shows. But I think around, by the, we got to 67, one of our singers had, because we were, I was the youngest, and the, other, the others were about a year older than me, and they graduated. Uh, one, the oldest one, he went into the Army. He was killed in Vietnam. Mm. And after that, we didn't do too much. Uh, my best friend and I, we started writing a couple of songs together, but... I think after 68, uh, well, I was kind of frustrated about not being able to get a job. We weren't really making any money with the music either. So that's when I went into the Army. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the West End Stories Project. The West End Stories Project is brought to you by the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library and is co-produced by your host, Key and our reference coordinator, Kent Mulcahy. If you like what you've heard, listen and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and help us get discovered by leaving a review. Thank you. When I was growing up, nobody wanted to be a gangster. You know, now they take it like a badge of honor and say that it's it's ridiculous. It's wasteful. It's wasteful. You know, you got these kids, I said, that could be doctors, lawyers, and they had a potential. And for some reason, they want to be gangsters. I said, ugh.